welcome to Idiots Talk History. I'm your host, Matt, and with me as always is my co-host, Lorna. Hello! It sounded like you said, I'm your host, Matt. I'm your host, Matt. Are you? <laughs> and with me as always is my co-host, Lorna. If you've never listened to the podcast before, one of us does a report on a moment, event, person, topic from history. Do you think I say that too quick? You know, that's okay. It doesn't uh, matter now. I'm not yeah. redoing it. Um, second to last episode penultimate episode yeah we might be back we might not idt nope it yep no i t h idiots talk what do you know that's idt well when when i save the podcast sometimes i reuse this um thing and i've saved it as idt1 and i don't know why because it's not idiots talk history is it no but i think it might be idiot idiots dark history no no, no, just, just idiot. idiot. But I'm just yeah. taking a few lines out. Anyway. That was fascinating. It's Matt's turn this week. Going to do a report. My final ever report. Lap it up. Boo, hoo, hoo. That was an unpleasant face. Lap up this one. This is... Oof. So <laughs> egotistical over there. Um, so modest. Thank you. Not. Mm, humble pie. Um, so... I'm doing a report this week, and I just want to start by saying not glamorising this person in any way, shape, or form. Okay? Yeah. Not a good person. Have I heard of them? No. But I just wait to tell you, because it is a pretty crazy story. You know I love a crazy story. Um, And I'm not sure where I've got this idea from. Well, I know the first website that I found it on, and it's on a website that doesn't hold much water for me, and that's cracked.com. Have you heard of cracked.com? No. It used to be quite a good website, maybe like 10 years ago, I think. I remember finding all interesting stories there, but now it's just a bit of a... not. I don't think it's a great website. I don't go on it very often. But I did come across this story on it um, as I was searching for um, something to do with forgeries. Okay. So I think maybe I got interested, like it piqued my interest. I was trying to think of what I wanted to write about, and I was thinking about Orson Welles from the other day. He did a film called F is for Fake. Which is quite famous. Yeah. Um, so if it's for fake. If you go back to our uh, fairly accurate there. <laughs> yeah. If you go back to our uh, Awesome Wells episode. I briefly mentioned that, and that's about a forgery. So I searched that guy. I think it was who that's based on, uh, but I didn't want to tell his story. And then I thought about um, more recently the Oscar nominations have come out, and there's a film called Can You Ever Forgive Me with a. Uh, Melissa McCarthy plays a, a writer called Lee Israel. You okay there licking your cup? It's dripping. Um, yeah. I have seen that trailer. We watched it the other day, didn't we? Because um, she got nominated and Rich D. Grant, her co-star, got nominated for Oscars. Um, and she's she plays a... It's ba- based on a true story called uh, Lee Israel. She uh, was a writer who started forging uh, letters and correspondence between sort of famous, mainly famous actresses, I think it was. And herself? No, no. Well, so, how did she get the letters then? That's what I was thinking the other day mean? when I watched that trailer. How did she get what letters? I know she made up the letters, but how how she's oh, saying she, said she that came across I think the letters? Like her de- her uncle's left them to her in a will or something. And her uncle just wrote to all these actresses. Or, the or bought them, pre- or bought the letters previously, or came across. I'm not sure. It's weird, isn't it? Aren't people weird? Well, yeah, and also it's an all right film. Sorry, uh, last year it's an okay film. But, sorry, sorry the uh, London Film Festival 2018. Um, but I went to find my own forgery story. So, I'm going to tell you the story of a man named Mark Hoffman. 
not a great guy. Is he related to Dustin? No. Okay. So he's born in Sol- oh, Salt Lake City. Ooh. SLC. Always the comes Big up. Apple. Uh, the big salt. The big salt, yeah. The big shaker. Uh, 1954. His parents um, were big, very big into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The old LDS. Oh, I've never heard of that Jesus Christ. Also known as the Mormon Church. Really? Jesus, Church of, of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You know of that? course he's a Mormon. Yeah, he's quite big around that area um as a young boy mark um got into different hobbies um such as card tricks and magic wait i just have a question what um state is salt lake city in is it utah what a good question or arizona i don't think it's arizona salt lake city is it in Utah. Yes. Utah's high elevation capital. Yes, I'm so good at guessing. Well, Except I gave you two options. You did give you two options. But um, I still knew Utah. I think I'd quite like to go to Utah. It sounds fun. Well, we can go to Salt Lake City. And, um, yeah. Well, well, I'll tell you about the story. Might yeah. Go. Um, so as a young boy, I had hobbies such as card tricks and magic. That sounds um, like you. Please don't compare me to this guy. Stamp and coin collecting. As a young boy, did you do card tricks and magic? I wasn't great, but I did do them. There we go. You don't collect stamps and coins, Stamp and though, coin so I'll let you on. No. Uh, about 12, he started to alter these coins so that collectors would think that they were more valuable. At 12? At 12. And he actually invented a forgery technique that he believed was undetectable. And uh, he managed to forge a rare mint mark on a dime. At 14, he brought a coin with this rare mint mark on uh, before the coin council and fooled them into believing that there was like this rare coin. I didn't even know there was a coin council. Coin council. council. Not sure. Wow. I've never heard that before. Um, and here's what he wrote about it. He said, I exuded in impressing other collectors and dealers with my rare coins. Money was not the object. I also read... Around this time, uh, as a teen, he, he experimented a little bit with making bombs. Um, These don't go hand in hand for which me. Which is... I only read on that cracked website. I didn't read it anywhere else. Take from that what you will. In the early 70s, so he's born in 1954, he went to England as part of an LS, LD... I almost said LSD mission. LDS mission. Latter-day Saints. Oh, Mormon Church. mission. Mormon mission. Um, and he became more interested in Mormon history. Got quite big into history in general, but mm. he likes Mormon. Well, he's interested in Mormon history. From what I can tell, for the better part of the 70s, he's got this growing interest in this. Um, and he doesn't really believe in it. So he's sort of been made t- to be a Mormon growing up by his parents who are Mormons. But he's learned a bit more about he's not sure. the faith and he's not convinced by it. Um, he thinks he'd rather make his own history for the Mormon religion uh, and earn some money doing it. Earlier he said that it's not really about money, but now he's thinking. Now he's I th- like, I could, I've had a bit of history with these coins. I'm rich. He's not rich. He's not rich. He's a, he's he's a teenager. He's trying to be rich. No, he's just... He's just... not rich on teenage terms, though, because well, they never have any money. I don't know. But he's managed to convince people that these coins are real. Well, now he's going to forge the religion, isn't he? So why not forge some uh, key religious documents instead? Okay. 
Exactly. Well, how's he going to make money off that? He'd well, be like doing a collection in the church, won't he? Send round that basket. For what? Make but, money. He'd be like, this is for our religion, but no. It's no, for him. It's not the same. Um, by the age of 24, so he's uh, 78-ish, he'd sort of shifted from US coins to old Mormon money. Quite I'm just confused about what how Sorry. he got money off forging... All right, so he's taking no. Well, I've got not gone to that yet. So he's wait. He, so he's just thinking about moving to Mormon. Yeah. Uh, so he's got. He did his coins. Yeah. He managed to convince his coin council that this the he real. had an old valuable coin when in yep. actual he just forged it. Yep. And then he's been like, oh, Mormon history. I'm not really sure about. Maybe I can actually take advantage of the Mormon religion. But he didn't at that point. No, he's, he's now moving on to Mormon coins. Well, he's, he's thinking about old Mormon money around this time. Um, and then he sold all this old Mormon money and his coin collection um, and decided that he was going to forge for a living. And that's when money became this thing that he wanted, as in earning okay. money through forging. So he's had a bit of an experiment with coins, with old Mormon money, and now he's getting onto his religious documents. Okay, but I just don't understand how the religious documents are going to give him any money. Well, that makes sense. Because he'll sell them. He'll be like, I just found this and then someone will buy it for millions of pounds. Well, that's how you make money. No, yeah, sorry, I just didn't understand. Oh. I thought if he was going to be like, I found this document and then not sell it, how's he going to make money on that? He's going to sell it. That's what he's going to do. I understand that. So it's 1980, so he's about 26-ish. Yep. It's the uh, Latter-day Saints Church, LDS Church. Um... First thing he comes up with, um, he claims to be in possession of a 17th century King James Bible. I think it's risky what he's doing here. <laughs> it's all quite risky, yeah. I think the coins are a bit safer than religious documents. 100%, yeah. He's slowly going bigger and bigger. We'll see how big he goes in a while. Mm. But um, How much does he research these things before he does it? I think quite a bit. Um, and he has quite a base because he's grown up as a Mormon. He's grown up in this religion. Um, he's sort of taking that knowledge to forge these documents. For, he knows what they will want to he's have. taking it forward, the knowledge. Um, this Bible, this King James Bible, isn't just any Bible because it has this note transcribed. It's sort of stuck in between some pages is a note. Um, supposedly transcribed by Joseph Smith. But really it was our guy. Yeah, but I'll explain it, Hoffman. what this is. So, um, transcribed by Joseph Smith. From the sacred golden plates, which were supposedly the foundation of the Mormon faith. So the story basically is that, from what I can tell, I don't know anything about the Mormon religion, so sorry if I get this wrong. But Joseph Smith was told by an angel to f- where he could find these golden plates, ancient golden plates, I think we like, with Egyptian shorthand writing on. And he transcribed it into the Book of Mormon. So it's this ancient relic which he found and it sort of tells of re- the religion. Okay. That became the uh, the Mormon religion. So sorry if I got that wrong. But basically, um, in this Bible, which Hoffman's claiming has got a note in from Joseph Smith, which is a which is transcribed from the actual original golden plates. So it's a big deal. Yeah. In the Mormon religion, because um, they think they found this crucial note to like the start of their religion in this old Bible. Um, and I was just wondering when I first read this, I was wondering if the people actually believe this because it's like finding like the Ark Something of the Covenant, now. yeah, 
Or the Holy, Holy Grail now. Or someone being like, I've just found this piece of paper. It's got Jesus it written says, on it. It's obviously Jesus's yeah, it says, notes that he wrote to his disciples. This is Jesus's, like, he wrote this at the Last Supper. Yeah. Basically like that. So, um, yeah, I wonder how much just they believe found the it. invite to Jesus' yeah. Last Supper. <laughs> Please join me. Plus one. Yeah. RSVP. RSVP. BYOB. <laughs> <laughs> I'll provide the wine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna say. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know how much people be- actually believed it, yeah. but the church were willing to buy it. So they paid him two twenty thousand um, American dollars I would have asked in for collectibles. More. I've I've recently found. I would out have asked for more for this piece. But he felt so. Whether he actually fooled the experts of the church, I'm not sure. It's but they were to willing say. to buy it. Um, so he's about twenty six. And he's just earned £20,000, more or less. $20,000, sorry. Um, so he decides to drop out of school. Fair enough, he's earned his dollar. Why is he still in school? He's at college. At 26? 26, yeah. Fair. Um, he's just made his first big buck. He's on the search for some more money, money. Cash, dollar, yeah. dollar bills, y'all. Um, and he became a rare book dealer at the age of 26. Oh. So I thought this was a bit weird because who's going to trust this guy who's just literally dropped out of college and apparently has all these rare books all these rare like artifacts that he's going to sell yeah and he's quite young how he's, does he yeah, acquire them exactly but no one seemed to bat an eyelid and i think it's because that had gotten quite a lot of publicity this 17th century um came king james bible with this note in got him a lot of publicity and he got in loads of magazines and stuff really yeah i think he was in time actually for that that's interview quite risky him. So it's very, it's all very risky. You keep saying <laughs> it, um, but he became a rare book dealer, um, and he just from then on pretty much began to do forgery as his full time job. So, from what I can tell, anyway, so his main victim was the LSLDS, simply because they were so desperate to get on the hand their hands on anything that would sort of prove their religion. You know, if you have stable documents that you can, that backs up your religious beliefs. So he was bringing them all these documents. Um, I read that a the LS, LDS, I'm going to say Mormon, the Mormon church historian Richard Turley said that the church have found since since this all come out, I guess how many pieces that they that um, Hoffman sold the Mormon church. Twelve. Four hundred forty-six. Hoffman forgeries were bought you do, by the church. Why are they buying them? Where's he, he finding them? All, why is he all of a sudden finding all these things? Because they're fake. Well, exactly, yeah, but he's somehow convincing them. So that's come out oh afterwards. Oh, my God. So he seems to, some people seem to think it's about 200, but this church historian for the Mormon church say about 446. Unbelievable. Um, forgeries that are in the, well, they're in the possession of the Mormon church. Um... After selling them some documents which sort of proved their religion, he realised um, that he'd probably make a bit more money from the Latter-day Saints if instead of selling documents to the church to help prove their religion, he'd sell them documents to prove their religion was a lie. He figured that... Why does he think he'll make more money They'd pay that? more money to cover up that their religion's false. I understand. Good logic, actually. It is, yeah. It's quite clever, to yeah. be fair. So that's what he started doing. So he started creating and selling these new documents to the church. Of course he did. Having obviously apparently just found them. 
Um, mm, the like most, you do. The most fa- so there's a number of these. The most famous of these documents is one that claims that Joseph Smith's son, Joseph Smith the Third, uh, was actually his designated successor. Uh, instead of the man who actually received that honour called Brigham Young. So he took this document, I think it was written by someone in, like Joseph Smith or someone else. He took this to the Latter-day Saints and said, "This here's a document for you about, you know, it sort of disproves your religion. And they were like, no, nah, we don't actually want to pay you. So <laughs> took it across the road, I don't know if it's actually across the road, to um, the reorganised Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who are a sort of a branch off of the Latter-day Saints, who claimed that Smith's descendants were his rightful successors, but they never la- they never had any proof of this. So he took it to them oh and was like, God. do you want to buy it from us? And the Latter-day Saints heard about this, and they then were willing to um, buy it from them to sort of not let the religious... Sorry, the reorganised church have this as proof. This guy's insane. Yeah, so he's just sort of playing them against each other so he get more money from uh, the Latter-day Saints. So we got about £20,000... $20,000 for that piece as well. He's so bold. Um, and at the same time, anyway, Hoffman decided to let slip to the press that this piece had been found. So then the Latter-day Saints had to come out and publicly confirm the discovery, which disproved their religion, essentially. So we didn't need to pay for it in the first place. No. He's such an idiot. He's, yeah, so he's just sort of tricked them. Um, and so he just starts to do this more and more to get under the Latter-day Saints skin, I feel. He's like, he's obviously really enjoying disproving their religion. Yeah, and then slipping it to the press, and they have to come out and try and defend it. So probably the most famous part of this uh, I'll get onto now. Um, So there's some parts of Joseph Smith's history, which are sort of proven, you know, the the founder of the religion, uh, that the religion actually liked to overlook, uh, such as as his involvement in folk magic uh, and hunts for buried gold. And it was convicted of being a public nuisance. So in 1827, one of his neighbours, uh, Smith's neighbours, gave an account of how Smith said that he found the gold plates. You know, these gold right. plates that he yeah. discovered. Um, and he said that Smith had told him that when he first tried to unearth them, a toad had risen up from the ground <laughs> and struck him in the head. <laughs> so Hoffman, at this point, very bold, as we know. Bold boy. Very brazen. Um, and so he put together his boldest forgery so far. It's called the Salam- Salamander Letter. Okay. So um, this document is supposedly written by one of Joseph Smith's scribes, and it gives a different tale on the whole faith's origin. So the original that is used by the by the Mormon Church is that the angel Moroni helped Joseph Smith locate the golden plates, and the you know the, they wrote the Book of Mormon. In Hoffman's version, which is a letter, it claims that Smith wasn't actually instructed by an angel, but rather a talking white salamander. So this salamander guarded the plates and struck Smith three times before he was allowed to take up the plate. Um, Take from that what you will. This is bizarre. So he's sort of playing on this old story of like, that they're trying to hide about the, know about the toad as well. Right, yeah. So he's been like i write a version similar to that and say that it was a white salamander who's <laughs> who why a white salamander i'm not sure such a random choice um matt i'm sorry but my mind's racing over it because i'm okay. thinking obviously this guy got caught for us to know all this yes. there's no way he didn't okay. but how many people have done this without getting caught i know a lot that yeah. is what that is what i'm thinking 
The church could have bought all sorts over the years. Yeah, people do. And they're fake. And especially with forgeries, they're still around. Especially like a guy like this, his forgeries are still being discovered. And some people even pay more because they know it's a it's Hoffman fake. For- forgery. Yeah. yeah, It's the same with the, the, the film, the Orson Welles film. I can't remember what the guy's name is, who it's based on, but he did loads of paintings. And people are still selling them off as originals. People are still... Which is really annoying. Yeah, so you don't know what you're mm. buying, really. And also, it's really annoying for the original artist. And it's really annoying for Joseph Smith. His story's being changed. It is. By Hoffman. And by others, we don't know. Yeah. Oh, honestly. I'm worried now. <laughs> so, in place of the official history of divine intervention, Hoffman's story um, made the story of the plates an extension of Smith's previous acts of fraud and folk magic. You know, we're talking about his life. Yeah. So that's probably why he mentioned toads to his um, neighbour. So, as per, the church decided to buy it from Hoffman, mainly to keep it quiet. They don't want to have this whole white, like... But last time they bought it to keep it quiet and he told the press anyway. Because I think the letter's supposedly by one of Joseph Smith's, like, friends or something. So they're like, this must be true. His His friend's saying that he told this story that the white salamander they should know that really you can't trust that that's like getting a text from someone and being like my friend definitely wrote this somebody might be on the phone (laughs) yeah it is like the 19th century version of that um so a man named stephen christensen who'll come into it in a bit um, no but the joseph smith stuff was in the 19th century i understand you're right um he actually bought it for $40,000 and donated it to the church. Who's he? Mormon church. I'll mention him in a minute. Um, and again, Hoffman released it to the public anyway, just because. Um, and the church had <laughs> to discuss it again. Uh, and they said, so their, <laughs> their basic explanation for this, because people are like, so how do you, um, how do you, what do you, what's the word? Explain it. Yeah. How do you explain that you're saying that it was you're it. saying it was a, a an angel and he and we've got this proof now that it was actually from Joseph Smith's mate Joseph apparently Smith, Smith saying that it was a a white salamander. So they said in the 1820s a salamander could refer to a being that is able to live in fire and this can relate to the angel. Pretty weak, pretty weak explanation. This, I feel like this is GCSE English. You study in a poem. Mm. It says the word blue, and your teacher goes yeah. on. The word blue there is used to mean a radiator that's been cold for seven right. days, and then it's been linked by a dog, and then it fell off the wall. <laughs> what are you talking about? I thought you were going to say, like, blue, and it means, like, sadness. Not... No, that is essentially oh, okay. what they do, though, don't they? Yeah, That's what they've they done there. They're like, let's interpret this that, as yeah. if it's well, poetry. <laughs> um, so this carried on. This selling of documents. Stop buying them. Getting the cash, leaking them to the press. This cycle that he had. Um, and Hoffman didn't actually just stop at the Latter-day Saints, though. Of course he didn't. He wanted to test himself. He produced items that were attributed to George Washington, Daniel Boone, John Hancock, Mark Twain, Abraham Lincoln, Andrew Jackson, as well as a lost poem by Emily Dickinson, which is probably like the mo- the boldest one because not only he wasn't just forging like he a signature, a he wrote a whole poem as if he was Emily Dickinson. 
and sold it. To be fair, though, with the salamander, he wrote a whole letter as if he was someone else. Yeah. But I guess Emily Dickinson's people should have figured famous. out. Exactly. So that's that's why it was quite ambitious of him. So it's 1985. So he began in 1980. So he's had a good five years. It feels like longer, to be fair. He's just doing it full time. He must have made an absolute fortune. I wonder how long it took him to forge each letter or something. Mm. Must have taken a bit of a bit of a long time. Well, yeah. Um, I'll briefly mention that in a bit. As you can probably guess, he's getting a bit too big for his boots. You're never, never too, too big, big for the boot. It's um, <laughs> a bit of a stormsy line for you there. Uh, and he decides to forge the oath of a free man. Have you ever heard oh, of this? No. I've never heard of this either. So it's apparently a very important document in early American history. Um, and his version was said to be a copy of the famous loyalty pledge taken up by the Massachusetts Bay Company in the 1630s. So basically, it's the first document supposedly printed in America, and it'd be the oldest surviving print in the United States. So he's claiming that he's found this print. Um, I think it was just after like they rejected like the Queen, and they were like, we're going to be the United States. I don't know. I oh, know it wouldn't have been. I don't know. Um Anyway, Hoffman began negotiating with none other than the Library of Congress for figures of well over a million dollars, about $1.5 million for this piece. He's so brave. So he sent off this piece, which is forged, uh, and the Library of Congress actually declared that the discovery would be one of the most important and exciting finds of the century and stated that its examination found nothing inconsistent with a mid-17th century attribution. Except the fact that everything's inconsistent with the mid-17th century attribution. Why? It looks like it's from the mid-17th century. But it's not. Well, no, but they say it looks like it is. The American Antiquarian Society... It's so fancy. ...had uh, also possession of the document for two months, and they announced, as far as we know, there are no anomalies. So they were also pretty convinced. So at this time... So, this is going on. Trying to sell this to them. Yeah. Same time, he's falling into debt. How? He had an expensive life, Laura. What did he, he liked do? buying legitimate? <laughs> he pointed out his legitimate first edition books, um, and he had a house that cost more than half a million dollars. He'd also promised in this time to deliver the McClellan Collection, which is a series of documents from an early Mormon apostle who broke from the church. Who's so he promised that? Well, this is it. So it's a collection of work. It's not just like one letter. So it's quite a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and he said, I've got it. And he said, I found it. I just need to retrieve it. So he's actually struggling to forge it all in the time that he's been given to do it. Because it's oh so much. Gosh, um, and he'd, he'd taken loans from different investors to find it. So he'd been doing this for a while. Taking loans from different investors. But he took a loan... Uh, a £185,000 loan dollar loan from a bank arranged by a Mormon elder, as well as several hundred thousand dollars owed to other investors. Um, so they loaded, loaned the money with him saying, I found it, I just need the money to acquire this document. <laughs> right? Um, he didn't get his homework done on time for this. So his investors, his investors, including Stephen Christensen, who I mentioned earlier, who who'd previously bought yeah, a piece from him. Yeah, and donated it to the church. Yeah, um, said, basically, get the collection for us, or you need to pay us back all this money we've given you. Um, the thing was, even if he'd got the collection then, he'd actually already sold it twice. So he sold it to the church and he sold it to other investors. 
So not good. So he needs extra money in order to pay back all these extra investors. So here's a quote from um, Hoffman. He said, in October 1985, it seemed like everything started to collapse around me. I could not come up with the money to pay off investors to keep from being exposed as a fraud. He couldn't quite get the sale of the Oath of the Freeman through. Um, you know, the one that I was, yeah. he was trying to sell for ha- a million and a half. As both the American Antiquarian Society and the Library of Congress wanted to undertake further tests on the... So they were, they're not Good completely wise. sure. They think it's true, but they're not completely sure, so they want longer. Um, so, this is what he said later. Looking back on the decisions he made during what he called a time of panic, uh, Hoffman wrote, he could see many forms of rationalisation... For the first time in his life, he started reading obituaries, trying to convince himself of the worthlessness and unfairness of life. Hoffman wrote that he bought components for the bombs without knowing who the victims would be, only that drastic measures were called for. So here's another quote from him. So he's panicking. So he's panicking. But panicking in a very bad way. And he's bought some components for bombs. Um, Here's what he said. He said, I remember on the night before the first two bombings going into my children's bedrooms and kissing them while they slept, telling myself that my plot was for their best good. He's got kids. Yeah. That night, I also chickened out of the suicide attempt and made a final selection who my victims would be. So, October 15th, 1985, Hoffman planted a bomb that killed Stephen Christensen, who's one of the people who would, who he'd worked with, like one of his clients. Who How old is he, 29? He's 85, so 31. Yeah, 31. Uh, and late the same day, a bomb, I think it was about nine minutes later, that killed, um, I think it was the wife of Christensen's former employer, Catherine Sheets. So I think the one, the Christensen one was in an office, so he'd gone up in a lift and planted this bomb outside his office, and when he bent down, it blew up. And the other one, he left outside someone's house, at this other person's house, and she happened oh to come out. Um, Did any more people die? No. So, the bomb that killed Christensen was apparently to take the pressure off two fraud schemes he had involved Christensen in. So, this um, scheme about the McClellan collection, which he said he was going to sell. And I also found out that Hoffman knew that a Massachusetts autograph expert was planning, he's called Rendell, was planning a trip to Salt Lake City in late October, so a couple of weeks later. And Rendell would be visiting Christensen who was thinking of buying a piece of Egyptian papyrus, 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 Um, Hoffman said was from the McClellan collection, but in fact Hoffman had bought from Rendell earlier in the summer. So he's he's going to figure out. He's going to come and see his own thing and then figure it out. Yeah, figure out that he's a fraud. So that might be, that's playing on his mind as well. Yeah. When he's 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 selecting this guy. And apparently the second bomb that killed uh, Kathleen's sheets was a pure diversion. And he was hoping to buy himself more time, but I'm not sure how that would help. Oh, was um, he like trying to frame? No, he weren't trying. To f- he was just trying to he divert attention from. Yeah, so he's actually killed one of the people who he owes money to. Yeah, and then someone else, his employer's. Well, yeah, wife former employer's wife. Yeah. Um. So news stations reported that night that an eyewitness had a good look at the person who delivered the Christensen bomb including a description of the letter jacket that Hoffman had worn. He's wearing like a high school letterman jacket, I think. Police also released a composite drawing of the man. Uh, Hoffman wrote, I felt like that was the end. 
Hoffman um, said that he took his family to stay with his parents at night, telling them it was for their safety because a business associate of his had been killed. Um, but actually, it was because, this is a quote, because I knew from the news reports that I was a suspect and anticipated the police knocking on my door at any minute. Hoffman drove to, drove to Logan, which I think is the place, early the next morning to buy parts for a third bomb. Uh, he says, I decided the night before, after seeing the news, that the jig was up and that the only way to keep my family from the certain knowledge of my guilt, this time not only of my fraud but murder, would be to kill myself. So, I read that the third bomb went off in his car, so it sounded like he was trying to kill himself there, but it seems like it might have been an accident, he was trying to move the bomb and it went off in his car. Hoffman, okay. however, didn't die yeah, in he, this explosion. I, I kind of knew that. The police were actually unsure originally if he was a victim of this because the clear link between him and the and Christensen was both in the historical documents business. Yeah. Uh, the police looked into his business transactions and found a $2 check to an engraving company. So they went with a copy of Hoffman's oath of, uh, of the Freeman and a worker at this engraving company identified it and turned over a negative for the plate that had been used to print the oath. So he's using this company to print this. Forgery. So that's when it came out that. As if the company didn't even realise. Like, he's been in the news. No, but they don't know it's. Yeah, they they didn't know. Like, the police didn't release that this guy was a suspect, I don't think. No, no, I meant that he was doing fraud. No, they didn't know. Faking the things. No, no, no. No, but how did the company not know when he's in the news for selling on these lines? He's not in the news for anything yet. I thought he was in the news for selling the. The religious documents and things. Yeah, no, yeah, originally that was, but he's only sort of a big name in the historical document world. Not in like oh, the, okay. He was in the Time magazine when he first released that, when that original one. But then, yeah, he's not like known. Oh, so, um, they found out it was a forgery and then they sort of started putting all the pieces together and they found a lot of forgery stuff in his basement then, the police, and realised. He's he always works his forgeries and he sort of put it all together that he was he was the one who set off these bombs. Apparently, he actually normally did most of his printing from plates he had made himself, but he got lazy and had the oath made, uh, the oath plate made professionally by this engraving company. And this, along with his lack of paper money, which meant they had to write a two dollar check, was actually the way that they found out. Mm. So they might have found out anyway, but that was what got him that. He didn't have any paper money. He left his check around, and that this one time when he decided I can't be bothered, right, like working out myself. Probably because he was in a rush because he needed the McLaren things. Yeah, McLaren. McLaren things. So in January 1987, he was sentenced to life imprisonment on a second degree murder charge, and he still remains in prison today. (gasps) Still alive. Um, I just got a little bit more information about which I I thought was interesting, but I didn't. I read this afterwards, so I didn't put it in anywhere. Okay. But it's all about his schemes. So, according to a former Salt Lake City police detective, Ken Farnsworth, he said that Hoffman's deals were one big Ponzi scheme. Um, he Hoffman would... So, this is what they found out afterwards. Hoffman would promise investors a 30% or 50% or 100% return on their investments in rare documents, would take their money to repay earlier investors then would look for still newer investors to pay off the others. So he's on this chain where he's not actually he's just always paying, paying anyone back with, with, more, with not more loans, basically. Um, at the same time, Hoffman was getting loans from local businessmen, using real rare books from his personal collection as collateral, and his checks were bouncing everywhere, apparently, over town. So this was a, as he was like spiralling out of control. Yeah. 
He's selling off all his Always catches own up with you, though. Yeah. Apparently, the total of his debts, um, when they added them all up, eventually reached about $1.1 million. That's how much he was owing at the time. It's too much for anyone. Um, also, whenever someone did question any of his documents, because obviously he did a lot of forgeries, mm-hmm. um, Hoffman always blamed the person who he had bought from. Um, you buy it from anyone. Uh, several times when New York handwriting expert Charles Hamilton told him that some signature or another one looked a bit fake, maybe it was a fake one, Hoffman would quiz him as to exactly why, and then he would go back to his basement and try harder to get the signature right. Um, from 1980 to October 1985, um, forgeries were almost his exclusive source of income. Uh, he estimated that he forged hundreds of documents with at least 86 different signatures. And most forgers just specialise in that like, one. So they'll just do like an Abraham Lincoln and they'll do loads of Abraham Lincolns. But and he, he did 86 like, different enough. people. I'll do loads. Um, yeah, but so I guess the others perfect it and become good at it. Whereas he's like, I'll be alright at a lot. Yeah, and he was because he sold them. And he, he had his documents authenticated by like the very best in the business. The Library of Congress, the American Antiquarian Institute... Uh, society, the FBI, the mm. University of California, and the Macron Research Institute. Pretty sad story, in it? At the end. And the th- yeah, but I don't feel sorry for him. Oh, no, no, I don't mean him. I mean, like, the people who died. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Because it's really like... He just got carried away, and it's disgusting. It's... He's not a good person, is he? In any way? No. Whereas I... That cracked article I read the first time, and, I, and it sort of takes this turn, this story... I mean, being like this forgerer to yeah, this Yeah, he just went extreme for me. And it was like, if he hadn't have done that, if he just got caught forging, then he could have been like Frank Abagnale Jr. You know, the, uh, the guy from Catch Me If You Can. on his own, though. Yeah, but like a con man who, you know, he's... He, and works with the FBI, you know. Acts like he's this really great guy. Yeah, but he's not... People don't hate him. Like, he, he didn't do anything like terrible, him. terrible, terrible. But this guy did, and he, yeah. now he's in prison for life. That's the thing, though. Like, they're always watching over the shoulders, waiting for the yeah. shoe to drop. Yeah. Is that it? Is that the saying? The other shoe to drop? I don't know. The shoe's yeah. on the other foot? <laughs> waiting for mm. it to go wrong. That's what I'm trying to say. So I just think... Also, it's not fair it's to not. live a life like that. No. It's an interesting story, taxes. though. It's an interesting story. Yeah, yeah, it is, but it's not fair. Everybody should work if they can, if they're able to, not steal things because that's not nice for other people, um, pay taxes. Yeah. It's fair. Yeah, I agree. So that's my report on. Um, I'm not sure what to call it's a bit it, really. Intense. It did get intense. It wasn't that intense. It was sort of like, oh, there's this bit about a salamander in her. And then it was like, Got really intense towards the end. You could call it Hoffman, Forgery and Murder. I'm not writing a book. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure it out. You'll have already read it, so it doesn't matter, does it? Um, so, do you want to finish up? <laughs> you have to cut all this cough, so I'm really sorry. So, as Matt said at the start, that was our second to last episode for a while. And but get in touch with us if you want. It's uh, our Twitter name is 
at idiothistorypod gmail you can send us an email if you want it's idiothistorypod at gmail.com uh, facebook and instagram's idiots talk history and just give us a nice review on itunes to end our time yeah and come back to listen to our final episode lana's got our yes. final report be out next week as usual hopefully be a bit more cheerier yeah less intense yeah so it'll be quite a nice one to end on and listen to our new podcast which will be out by now hopefully or it'll be coming out very soon we're uh, leaving the country in three days to go on our journey by the time this comes out we'll already be we'll we'll be be left across the world we will be in japan yes so um yeah it's called on the move so look out for that i'm sure we'll be um posting about it and you can find the um well the name of it in the podcast description maybe not a link to it if it's not out but um we will speak to you next week for our final show oh bye see you later bye